Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co-host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Jim, we are especially excited today for our guest, and this time, it's for real. We say that each week, I think, but uh, we have good reason to be excited. We interviewed Sister Maria Colby of the Nashville Dominicans of St. Cecilia. Yeah, and Sister Maria Colby shares with us today, Jim, a tremendous amount of authenticity, joy, and moments of grace as she shares her journey. I had not met her before, but It was so much fun interviewing her. Let's not waste any time, but let's dive right into it. We are really ecstatic that you're here and that you could join us. Well, Uh, you know, I love telling what what God has done in my life. And so, and I know that it's a very engaging story, so it makes it easy to tell. And, but it also, I love I've probably, sh- I've shared it so many times, but every time I'm reminded, and sometimes I move to tears just thinking about what God has done in my little life. And what you're talking about, you know, God uses ordinary people. I know that I, I mean, I really can be an idiot sometimes with the Lord. You know, he works with idiots. And I think, I think that that's, I mean, he, he talks about that, how he works with weak people. Yeah. And, and that is just the story of my life. And he shows me, he, in his goodness and gentleness, reveals to me a lot, you know, I'm calling you away from this behavior so you can be closer to me. So I, you know, even just recently, he showed me a couple of things. You know, sister, you've got to, you know, get back on track <laughs> and follow me a little bit closer. So, so it really is a continuing story of him just wanting me when I speak about my knowing my own personal journey closer to him. Yeah. And it's just constant. Sometimes he makes it more, I'm more aware of it and he makes it a little bit louder. So, but he's so good. So oh, good. Amen. Yeah. Can you take us back, you know, kind of a few years back, kind of as your journey began? Because I've heard it before. Jim hasn't heard it. Our listeners, you know, for the most part, I think are unexposed to your journey, Mm -hmm. but it's really, you know, kind of a radical progression of faith and where the Lord has taken you all the way to where you are today. But can you just kind of take us back and just share the story with us? Sure. So I I grew up in a Christian family and we were non-denominational when I was very young. So preschool age, we would go to church and then just stopped that. So it was not a part of my major growing up experience going to church. And we, I have memories of it from when I was, you know, three, four or five years old. But after that, we never ever went to church, but, but we were still very aware. My parents made us very aware of the role that God plays in our life and that scripture was something important. And from a very, very young age, so my memories of being in church when I was, you know, three years old, I've always had a deep sense of God's working in my life and a deep relationship 
with the Lord. And my mom, she sometimes jokes around and says that the first word I ever said was Jesus. <laughs> and and I, I don't think that's true, but she it's kind of her telling of how it's Jesus has always been, the Lord has been the focus of my life since I was very young. Wow, that's beautiful. And so I would talk with my parents about Jesus, and we would, you know, um, share with each other our own journeys and being a Christian. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, I really had a longing to have a friend that I could also speak to about the Lord and about my journey and what what he's not just necessarily my journey, but just speaking about God and what he's doing in the world in the past and the present and the future. And so I prayed to the Lord when I was in eighth grade. And then very soon after that, the Lord answered my prayer and I met a friend, Carrie Taylor, and she, um, she invited me to start going to church with her. So when I was in ninth grade, 10th grade, I was going to her church and started to get very involved in youth group. And that was a real game changer for me, realizing just being involved in a greater community of believers and not just something small like my family. And it was... It was a wonderful experience to be involved in youth group. And when I was, it was the end of my sophomore year of high school, and she asked me, she said, "Um, have you ever been baptized? And I was like, no. And so she said, well, we're having a bunch of baptisms this summer. Do you want to get baptized? And I was, I was like, yeah, I think so. And then I started to to doubt. I think I was getting a little bit scared for some reason. And then I read something that C.S. Lewis wrote that said, if you're ever fearful of being baptized, it's from the devil. And I was like, okay, oh, I'm wow. getting baptized. Because I thought, you know, Jesus said, to, like, told us we should get baptized. Right. So I think I'll do it. So I was baptized <laughs> when I was 16. And, and it... I the I didn't know then the graces that baptism gives you. So often in Protestant tradition, baptism is seen as a personal witness that's public that Jesus is the center of your life. Sure. And and I was baptized in the proper way, and so I knew I received those graces. Didn't know what exactly what they were back then. But after that, I really wanted my family to share in a community. So I was begging my parents, can we please, please start going to church together as a family? And so that that was one of the very tangible graces of my baptism was just that strong desire to let this be part of my immediate family, this great thing that I've been experiencing within a church community. And both my parents, they were raised Catholic and went to Catholic school. But then once they left their left home, they had a born again experience that that Protestants would often say it's when you turn to the Lord and make a deliberate choice to have him as your personal Lord and Savior. So they they had that experience where they met the Lord um, outside of the Catholic Church. And so we when we started going to different non-denominational churches. My, we, we would go to one here, and my parents really didn't like it very much. And then we would go to another one and another one. And we would be trying out all these different churches. And my dad, he thought, so this was maybe when I was 18, so a couple years later, I remember him saying, you know, I don't really understand why in these churches we're going to, why we don't have time of silence 
why isn't there, why don't we kneel down? And he said, you know, I think I'm remembering from my youth when I was at mass, there was a real sense in the Catholic mass of mystery and wow. something mm. really majestic and powerful that was going on. And that's why we had times of silence. That's why we knelt. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't feel that in any of these churches. And so, so he said, this horrible thing. I think I'm going to look back into the Catholic Church. And <laughs> wow. so I was horrified. <laughs> look back to the Catholic Church. That sounds terrible. Now I I didn't have the the conviction that Catholics were going to hell or that they were completely lost. I thought that um, that there was a lot of superstition within the Catholic Church and they didn't have the fullness of an a knowledge of what it means to really know and love Jesus, really know and love scripture. And so I had prejudices against the Catholic Church, but not in a condemning way. And But I thought that it was very far from the fullness of the truth. Okay. So, so he was l- reading more about the Catholic Church, and I would see different... Catholic pamphlets or holy cards or things that were a little, um, I was a little bit concerned. And, but thank goodness. So we were living in Virginia at the time and nearby in a, a, sh- a store opened up, a Christian bookstore and video store. So the name of it was Castaway Christian Books and Videos. So I thought, oh, this will be great. I'm going to take my dad there rekindle his Protestant fire and all will be well. And and so I was praying to the Lord because I was asking my dad, let's go to this new bookstore over here. And it took him a while, but eventually he agreed. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Like you have answered my prayer. And so we walk into this bookstore. It's just, the, it's just he and I. And the first thing I see on the walls are Mylar balloons, those metallic helium balloons, Mylar balloons that say, happy confirmation. Happy First Holy Communion. And so then I start looking around the store and I see statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary and books that had pictures of the Holy Father. And as I'm gazing around, I'm like, oh no, it's a trap. It's God's revelation, Jim, right here in the the bookstore. It's awful. So it was a Catholic store. I'm like, it's a Catholic store. It was just labeled as Christian. You know, there was no indication from the outside that it was Catholic, wow. but it was 100%. You know, it wasn't just a little section, the whole thing. So the the man who owned the store, he started talking to my dad and he, we were there for maybe about 10 minutes because I really wanted to get out. And <laughs> But he convinced my dad to take home a video of Scott Hahn on the Eucharist. Sure. Now, I never heard the word Eucharist before. I didn't know who Scott Hahn was. So I was like, no big deal. You know, I didn't feel threatened at all. So as, so we were getting out, but he had this, you know, book or this uh, video with him. So he and my mom watched it that night and were convinced that they were supposed to be Catholic and that's where God wanted them. And it was a such a difficult thing for me. And I really felt like, there was spiritual warfare going on that the devil had a hand in this and that he was pulling my parents away from God. And I had younger siblings who were seven, 10 and 13 years younger than I was. So they were five, 
eight and 11. Okay. And so, so at this point we were still going to a non-denominational church. And so I remember gathering them around me and saying to them, you know, mom and dad have gone a little bit crazy. And so I'm going to be your spiritual mother now. And so they were so little, they just looked up at me and just nodded their heads, you know, innocently like, yes, okay, okay. And because I felt like I now had an obligation to bring up my younger siblings in, you know, in the Lord yeah. and keep them away from what my parents were doing. And it was, it was a very, I was in a lot of turmoil because I was, I was so used to our family being united in the faith. And this is the first time that there was any type of division and we we visited a catholic church and it was a beautiful cathedral and my parents my mom and dad they piously dipped their hands in the holy water and blessed themselves and i was like i am not touching that <laughs> and i was so judgmental everywhere i was looking i was thinking all of these negative things and you know they, you know, this is too expensive. They should be spending this money on that. I don't understand why they have these statues. So just going on and on, just very. Oh sure. I, I was, it was so difficult for me just to be in a Catholic church, knowing that my parents are leading in this direction. So my dad, he he saw the how I was going through such a difficulty with this. So he said, "Okay, let's just let me just talk you through what I learned on the video with Scott Hahn." So you have not watched this video? No. Okay. I have since, but not to this point. So, so at this point, I'm 18 years old. And um, so, so he sat me down and he went through the Gospel of John and where Jesus is saying, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So as he's reading that to me now, as most Protestants, and I believed that communion, when we would celebrate communion, maybe like once a month, it would be symbolic and we would remember the suffering that Jesus went through. And, but there, it wasn't anything super substantial. But when I read this and I heard him reading it to me, I, was, I received a huge moment of grace where I immediately believed that Jesus was present in the Eucharist. Wow. That yes, he gives us his flesh and his blood. It isn't just bread and grape juice. And, and I, it was just one moment to the next. Wow. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start my own church that is <laughs> not Catholic, but has the Eucharist. So I was really excited about this. Wow. So obviously I had no idea how you got the Eucharist. You know, you need right. <laughs> an ordained Catholic priest, you know, to do this. So, so I didn't, I didn't know that. And, and I remember what, what a, another huge turning point for me was when we went to mass for the first time. And so at least it was my first time, you know, my parents had gone before when they were younger, but, but when I went to mass for the first time and I saw the priest after he consecrated the host and elevated the host, I thought, Oh my God, I am looking at you for the first time. Yeah. For the first time, I am looking at God. And I just started weeping yeah. because it was an experience that I had never, ever had before. And I really never knew it was possible right. to actually look at God. And so I knew 
I have to become Catholic. <laughs> this is this is the way I, if this is how I get Jesus, yeah. then I'm, I'm doing this. And I remember when I was at master the first time, when the congregation sang the lamb of God, I was like, wow, this is such a beautiful song. It's so scriptural. I wonder if they'll sing it again. And so <laughs> the next moment to mass, they sang it again. And I was like, wow, they must really love this lamb of God song. So just <laughs> sing it every single time. And then I realized obviously, oh, this is part of the mass and we do this all the time. So there were so many in um, the, the, there were so many neat things that I was that I was seeing for the first time and hearing for the first time and reading for the first time. So it was really exciting. And then I read that Mary was conceived without original sin. What is that about? And I was like, no, no, sorry. Just can't go there. No way. And so, but I, so I knew that I had to believe that in order to be Catholic. In good conscience, I couldn't be Catholic without believing this dogma. You know, it wasn't just some little pious thought that some people thought. This is serious. The Immaculate Conception is dogma. So as a family, we were learning about different saints together. And one of the saints we were learning about was St. Maximilian Kolbe. And his favorite title for Mary was the Immaculata. And so I thought, well, that kind of sounds like Immaculate Conception. So Immaculata probably has something to do with the Immaculate Conception. And I really did want to believe it, but I just didn't have the gift of faith. Mm -hmm. And so I prayed to him and I asked him, please help me believe that Mary was conceived without original sin. And very soon after that, I felt that the Blessed Mother was showing me that the importance that she had in the incarnation, the importance that she had in the life of the church. And so suddenly it made so much sense that it was so fitting that Mary would be immaculately conceived. And and then I started reading things about her being the Ark of the Covenant and, mm-hmm. and how she held, if she held, you know, the most holy God that, it's so fitting that she would be pure and perfect. And so, so then I was like, okay, I can do this. And so St. Maximilian Colby and I have become very good friends since then. Oh, I can now, imagine. Did you, at the time, like obviously in, in retrospect, you recognize the connection between your prayer and this understand this revelation, really. Right. Did you recognize it in the moment as it was happening that, hey, this is totally what St. Maximilian Colby is doing for me? Right. I think... Um, I don't think it wasn't quite as dramatic as when I believed in the Eucharist. It was like one minute I didn't, sure. the next minute I did. But it was it probably took a couple of days. I mean okay. it was it was That's still pretty that's quick. Still pretty swift. Yeah. That's true. Yes. The whole thing was very quick. So so yes, it was. But but yes, I did attribute it to him. And you obviously sure. didn't have any problems with the communion of saints. No. That, that, was very that made perfect sense to me. Okay. There were some things within the Catholic Church when I was learning about different things that made total sense to me. And that was something that was very easy for me to understand. That's, that's a grace in and mm-hmm. of itself. <laughs> yes, yes. So that that was definitely something that that I could latch on to and it it made to me total logical sense. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this I could deal with. Right. But um but yes, yeah, so I definitely credit St. Maximilian Colby to helping me my last, it was the last hurdle I had to do to become Catholic, which is why wow. I took my name after him, sure. Sister Maria Colby, yes. for, for him. So this was probably December of 1999, 
when okay. all of this is happening. So it's very fast. And so we were able to get inserted into the RCIA program. And my parents convinced the, the director of religious education to that we were learning so much and we already know so much that we could probably you know, enter in like a few months, the Catholic Church. <laughs> Expedite your way through the process. Yes. And so he led us. Oh, wow. So we did. <laughs> now, did your, your parents didn't need to go through RCIA? I they, okay, no. So my mom, she had never been confirmed. Okay. okay. So my dad was her sponsor. So, so they had to get their, they got their marriage blessed in the church because okay. they didn't have a sacramental marriage. Okay. And so, so they, they were married sacramentally. And, you know, it's amazing that after they had that ceremony and receive the grace of the sacrament of matrimony. I could see a huge difference in their relationship. It was it was That's really awesome. remarkable. It the just the graces of the sacraments. It was very tangible during that time. Well, having gone through that process myself mm-hmm, within the right. last couple of years right. and having had my wife as my sponsor mm-hmm. in the process, personally I can attest just to, you know, a dramatic change in our relationship as well. Really? Yeah. And and we came from a state of, you know, a sound relationship and a good mm-hmm. relationship and a loving relationship. But the grace of God and God is the center and Christ is the center of your marriage. Mm-hmm. I can attest to the fact that it does elevate you. Right. To a whole new to a whole new plane. Mhm. Um, right. it's just beautiful. Mhm. Yeah, it was. It was it was very beautiful witness that they gave. So, so we the year two thousand, the jubilee year. Oh yeah, we all came into the church. So my my younger siblings, they were baptized because they'd never been baptized. So they were baptized on Easter Sunday of that year. I received at the Easter vigil my first Holy Communion. My mom and I were confirmed. I have an older brother who was in the military, and he was just about an, lived about an hour away. And he also became Catholic, came into the church. Oh, wow. With us. So it was the whole family. So there's five children in our family. And so my mom, she describes it as our whole family being thrust into the heart of the church really fast. Sure. Yeah. So it was just a matter of five months that this, all this happened. Your, your influence, so you were trying to influence your siblings before to sort of go down this Christian path of influence right. that you were leading. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. when you um, really gravitated towards the Catholic faith, were you pulling them on and influencing them as aggressively as you were right. <laughs> trying you know, to go the other direction? I don't, I don't have any memories of that, but I'm sure once they saw that all of us, I mean, the, you know, yeah. a five-year-old really doesn't have too much of an idea of <laughs> at that point, you know, why you know, logical reasons or the faith-filled reasons for being Protestant or Catholic. But, but they, yeah, they, they all came into the church. Yeah. I remember when, um, it was around that time when I was telling them, you know, I'm going to be your spiritual mother, that I really felt that there was, um, spiritual warfare going on in my family. And so I prayed and I, over my, or think of, so this was before I knew I was going to become Catholic. I was like, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
I command that Satan leave my parents and that you lead them into the fullness of the truth. Make any <laughs> error, leave them right now. May they be entered into the fullness of the truth. And wow. so I didn't realize I was praying them into the Catholic Church. I was duped. Lord. Uh, <laughs> you duped me, oh Lord, yes. and I let myself be duped. I know. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so, so the Lord, he, he is very comical. But, oh, so true. But, the, but yeah, but my siblings, we all came into the church. It was it was really remarkable. That's beautiful. I gotta believe. I, I and I firmly believe that watching someone convert, whether you said words to your younger siblings or not, watching someone change the very way of living mm-hmm. is the loudest message you can send. No right. doubt. No doubt. Right. So yeah, very that, true. That's awesome. Well, it's even it's amazing. I, I find it fascinating that your older brother too. Yeah. Yes. I know. And he remembers me calling him and saying the same thing. Mom and dad are going crazy and they're wanting to become Catholic. But then I I don't I think he had visited us a couple of times and then once I got on board, then we he just saw the excitement and he became excited too about the idea of becoming Catholic. So yeah, it was just a big family thing we can we cannot wait to hear the rest of this story because i sit here fascinated thinking about the fact that there's this spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. as you describe it there's this radical shift that's taking place in sort of the faith foundation of your family right and 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 jim and i get blessed with the fact that we're sitting here today with you you know, as as you are a Dominican sister of Saint Cecilia, and have really gone to this 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 radical level that is beyond even this moment of you know conversion mm-hmm. that you're describing, and just right. to to hear a lot of this story and this level of detail today, and just knowing where you have you know where you have gone mm-hmm. with your life is just. It's absolutely remarkable. Right, um, right. Oh, God, it's so good. I know. Amen. Yeah. It's well, sh- should we take a quick break? Do that. Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's Brand items, pullovers, button-downs, a really nice quarter-zip fleece. They're stylish, and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion. Again, they're at God's Brand, all one word, dot com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, welcome back, sister. Thank you for sharing so much of that background yeah, with us. No I worries. Mean, I clearly, we've seen how God has begun to reveal Himself, you know, throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and He's really been, you know, calling you forward in in faith. And you know, we'd love for if you could just kind of continue from where you were, but really share how. You know, God continued to call you and in and where your faith journey has gone right. since that moment. Okay. So I previous to us having any thoughts about the Catholic Church, I think I was seventeen years old and I remember telling my parents or having 
a a desire to live a celibate life like Paul. And so I told my parents, I was like, I wonder if God is calling me to live a celibate life like the Apostle Paul. And my parents kind of looked at me like, uh, maybe we could talk about this later. Because <laughs> that, that really isn't something that happens anymore. Yeah. In in the in most Protestant circles, you don't see people living choosing to live a celibate life for the kingdom of God. Right. So so when so I could tell that they they were dismissive of it, and I was a little bit heartbroken. But I was like, I think they're right. So you know, obviously, I'm not called to live a celibate life because no one does that anymore. So when I became Catholic, I realized that this that there was another vocation of religious life. And so I was, I was very open to it and because I was very open to whatever the Lord wanted me to do. And there was our, the parish where I was at, our young adult group worked a lot with a parish nearby where our sisters taught at the school there. Okay. And so the sisters, so, so I had met the sisters and didn't have any type of experience where I was like, wow, this is what I want to be. So it had really no impact on me meeting them. They, they were lovely sisters, but but it, it wasn't something where I could say, oh yeah, meeting them was was the moment. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, so they invited a bunch of girls to go on a road trip to Nashville, Tennessee, where our mother house is. And so I love road trips and a bunch of my friends are going. So I was like, oh, this will be so fun. So you're still in Virginia though. You're still yes. living in Okay. Yes. Okay. So this, this, so we became Catholic in April of two, 2000. And then this trip was the next year, March of 2001. Okay. And as I was, I was very much involved in the in Catholic circles and um, helping out with youth group and PSR and doing a lot with young adult ministry. And sometimes people would say to me, "Oh, you know, you would make a great sister." And I, it would kind of hurt my feelings. I would be a little offended because my my conception of a sister was someone that really didn't have very many other options in life, that she was overly pious, that she didn't really have a life. And so when they would say that to me, I'd be like, oh my gosh, do you think that, you know, I'm really boring or I can't get a boyfriend <laughs> or something? So so I was, I was offended because I didn't really, even though I had met our sisters, I didn't know them well. The meeting was very, you know, just, we just said hello and it, wasn't, it just wasn't impactful. Right, yeah. right. And so so when I went to Nashville, and in Nashville, it's where our mother house is. So there's you know over 100 sisters that are there. Sure. And how many are on this road trip with you, sorry? There, there's probably five girls okay. and one of the sisters. Okay. Mm-hmm. And girls as in, you know, probably we're in our 20s. And, um, and there are a couple high school girls also. And so we went there. And also at the mother house is where the novitia is, where the young sisters who are in formation, they also live there. Sure. And so, so when I went there and I met these young sisters, there were so many young sisters that were there that were filled with joy and were beautiful and funny and just had a 
temperaments and personalities. I was like, oh my gosh, these are people that I would be friends with. Like these people are kind of like me. And I remember having this great awe at how courageous they were to give up everything and follow God in this amazing way. And so it was those misconceptions that I had melted away. And I was able to see for the first time that religious life is something beautiful. And for ordinary people, that God calls them to this extraordinary vocation. And so it was the day before we left, and I was at Sunday Mass, and I was praying to the Lord, and I said to him, you know, I, you know I'll do anything for you. And, and at this point, I, my plan was to be a missionary teacher in South America. So I was getting my teaching degree with a minor in Spanish. So that was, that was my goal. And I told the Lord, I'll do anything for you. You know that. And, um, and then I suddenly knew. It was very similar to when I suddenly believed in the Eucharist. I suddenly knew that I was called to be a Dominican sister of St. Cecilia. Wow. And it was very clear. There weren't any, you know, angel choirs or you know, there wasn't, I didn't hear a voice. It was just a sudden certainty that I'm supposed to be one of these sisters. And, and it was a moment of just being so grateful that God would call me to this life, oh, that you yeah. want me to be your bride in this very particular exclusive way. And so I was filled with so much gratitude. And I told the sister that the vocation director there, and she said, okay, well, um, you know, I'll give you some more information and, um, and we can meet together again. And so my parents picked me up from when we got back to Virginia and I told them we were in the car and I was like, well, I think I, I think I have a vocation to this community. Yeah. And it was just silence. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I literally thought they didn't hear me. So I said it again. I think I have a religious vocation to the Dominican sisters. And they're like, oh, okay, wow, that's nice. And so I was like, oh, man. And this is after you've just driven home. You've been thinking about right. this. You're right. so excited to right. tell them. And it's kind of uh, yes, fell deflating. Flat. Right, exactly. <laughs> so... So this is just a year after, not even a year after becoming Catholic. Okay. So this was about 10, 11 months this after becoming Catholic. Fast. Yes, really it is. fast. Yes. So, so I was talking to my dad, and I was like, I really, I feel this call very strongly. And they were have the sisters were having a vocation retreat, um, in a couple months after I'd first visited there. And so I told him, you know, I'm I'm going to go on this vocation retreat. And so he said, you know. We've only been Catholic for a year. We've only had one Catholic Advent and one Catholic Easter together. Can't you just wait a little bit longer? We haven't even, you know, journeyed in this for yeah, very long. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I love you, but I've, I think that I will die if I don't do this. And I was like, the Lord, I really feel like he's put this strongly in my heart. And I really think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm 20 years old and, you know, you're not really in charge of me anymore. So, and I wasn't trying to be bratty, right. but I just wanted him to know, like, this is this is my choice and that God is leading me there. So I went on this vocation retreat and the sister who is in charge of, of vocations, she said to me, she was like, you know, sister, 
or she didn't call me sister then. She said, you know, we, our practice is that we wait two years before a girl will, you know, in becoming Catholic, wait a two, two years of being Catholic before she can enter the convent. And she said, because, you know, we don't want someone that becomes Catholic and they just have all this zeal and excitement and they just want to do the most radical thing and become a sister. So she said, you know, usually we wait two years. And I started crying. I was so upset because my heart was set on this and I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. And um, But I wanted to also be obedient and receptive to what they wanted because sure. you know I can't just yeah. force myself into right. this community. And so, so she saw that I was very upset. And so she said, you know, why don't we just take a couple months and you continue to pray about it. We'll pray about it. I'll call you in a couple months around Pentecost and we'll see the conclusion that we both come to. So the time went and my conviction for wanting to do this now never left. And so she called me on Pentecost Sunday and said, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? And I said, you know, I really, I've prayed about it a lot and I really feel like this is my calling and that God wants me to do this like this year and she said okay well let's let's do it then she said you know i we kind of we kind of think the same thing so i did so i entered the a year after i became catholic and it was very very exciting because i was still learning so much about the catholic faith and and it was in entering religious life I, it was the same kind of thing when I was becoming Catholic and learning more about the Catholic Church. It was like this whole huge treasure chest filled with all these amazing things that I had never known before. And it was the same thing when I entered the convent. You know, it was this huge treasure chest of all these amazing things about religious life that I had never known. And so it was very exciting, super exciting. So that was, so I entered in the year 2001. And then, you know, praise God, it, it was the vocation that he called me to. And, and I'm so grateful for everything that the Lord has given me. And, and I really feel like I don't deserve this, except that God has called me his beloved. And in that is where I'm deserving because I'm his, you know, he has called me. So, um, and, and I often think about friends that I had and other Protestants, friends that I had, who are Protestants, other Protestants that I know that love the Lord so much and yet aren't Catholic and just wondering, you know, these people who are probably holier than I am, but you called me, how did, you know, you opened my eyes in such a dramatic way. Like, why did you choose me? And that, that's one of those questions, you know, that, that he hasn't revealed to me and maybe right. he never will, but, but it, it just fills my heart with gratitude that, I was chosen and, and was given the grace to answer and chosen to be his bride in a very particular exclusive way. And though I am not worthy, but he still calls and yeah, he's the one that right. makes us yeah. worthy of receiving that. Well, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and I know Jim and I sitting here listening to your story, you know, we understand a little bit as to why God puts you in this position, because clearly your impact on on us and what we have seen in the community and on our children is absolutely beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, and I do think that you know a lot of the children, um, and quite frankly, a lot of the adults, a lot oh, of other absolutely. parishioners, yes, you know, see 
yourself and and see the other sisters in in our parish at St. Joseph's of Cottleville in Missouri, you guys have a tremendous influence on everyone that is around. And and our children glow Mm -hmm. (laughs) when they see you and when they see the other sisters that are present. And it's a level of energy and excitement mm-hmm. um, as well as some mystery you right, know that right. I think is engaging oh for sure to a lot of people in 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 the spirit in the joy that is present with you all um, is absolutely a gift from God right yeah. it really yeah. is I agree people will often say that about religious sisters and and about our community, our Dominican sisters of St. Cecilia, say that, that we have this charism of joy. And I think that there that there really is this knowledge and acceptance that the Lord that my joy comes from the Lord, that his joy is our strength. And there's there's a real understanding of how much we are loved by God. And so we can't just help it oozing out. That's it. And and I I mean you got it, you may as well share it, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, and we're very aware that we represent something so much more than just me. Yeah. That we represent the bride of Christ and represent the church and we represent God and everything that's holy. And so so I think that there there is that understanding too that that if when people see us, they see God, or when they see us, they see the Catholic Church, that we want to represent it in its true beauty. Yeah, and so, right. so hopefully we do that. Oh, and, I, yeah. I can yeah, attest. Hopefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, to that point there, speaking of the mystery, um, it actually reminds me of, uh, we obviously we've named our, well, we didn't name, we, we heard the, the invitation to name our podcast, the blazing bush, right, right. <clears throat> cleverly named. And, uh, after the burning bush, but I, that's what I, that's what I see is that there's something unique and mysterious that's attractive. Mm-hmm. And so people are drawn to it and it's the witness of your life, but a life that's, on, that's on fire. That's a blaze. Right. We right, prefer right, to right. say, there you go. uh, with the love of God and with mm-hmm. the joy of the spirit and it's just so attractive and so um, encouraging because you're living your life in such a way that is countercultural. Mm-hmm. In really every, I mean, you look at the what are they called? The evangelical councils? Am I right? You you correct me. Uh, the uh, poverty, chastity, obedience. Right. Like contrary to society's definition of what will bring you joy, mm-hmm. and yet a life lived. In contrast to society's norms, is the one that is actually the one of joy. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's the great paradox of Christianity. You die so you can live. You're weak so you can be strong. You're poor so you can be rich. And you know, in secular culture, it doesn't see that. And and I think that that because even people that aren't I've I've sometimes told people that don't believe in God that I'm praying for them and there's something that is that they appreciate that so much and because every heart is made for God and longs for God and we when they see us they see that and so there's something within 
every person that longs for God. And a lot of people see that in us. And so it is very attractive. But but you'll find that, that people really do appreciate us bringing them to God. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's such against the grain societally anymore. You know, if you run into somebody that maybe seems closed-minded mm-hmm. or... Um, and, and this can go well beyond faith. It could go into any any topic, whether in business or uh, in nonprofits or whatever the situation might be. You, you, you come into conversation with somebody who has a differing opinion or uh, maybe is a little bit more closed-minded. And the norm is to kind of just sort of either be combative or go the other way. You know, but to really extend a hand or say you're going to pray for somebody um, that maybe is on an opposing field as you, I do think they see the grace. I, I do think they even see God revealed in those moments, whether they recognize it or not. The fact that, you know, one would share the courageousness of that moment is really, you know, the world needs more of that today. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, it's such a difficult society's tough today you know but for you to talk about the courageousness you know to live a consecrated life you know you talk about you know it's the minority of folks that are saying i'm i'm going to you know get rid of all my material things or i'm going to live life in a very different manner than everybody else and, and we've seen this in, in some of our own lives, mm-hmm. is we're making sacrifices, we're giving things up, we're, we're moving away from, you know, some areas of fellowship that we've participated in before that that we thought we were, you know, quote unquote, winning. In, right, right. Yeah. Or, or trying to find joy, but finding this discontentment, mm-hmm. you know, right. but being able to share uh, just the love of Christ, you know, we see it in you every single day. Right. Yeah, it is. You know, it. we work together so well. I think the Lord was so wise when he chose these different vocations that represent different realities of the mystical body and of the Trinity. You know, you have the family that's, that's the, that represents and signifies the Trinity. You have the the consecrated religious that represent the bride. You have the the priests that represent the bridegroom. And, and it really is so beautiful how all these vocations work together. So, so was, and I think in, in my vocation, because I don't live the married vocation, I think sometimes I'm, I have a, I'm more sensitive to the beauty sometimes of married life because it isn't my personal experience but I can see you know within your family and in your lives the joy that you have as married people with families who are so faith-filled and you want to give the joy of the Lord to others so so I think it's mutual between us yeah well it's your spirit certainly helps carry us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you win. We're gonna, yeah. <laughs> so, 
I, I got to ask you this. So today, you're a teacher. Yes. You're teaching sixth and seventh grade religion. That's right. You know, that's, I mean, that's a, that's challenging. That's years off purgatory. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so middle I, school, what's that like? I, I love it. It's ever since I started teaching in 2006, I've mostly taught middle school, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And, and you often hear, you know, people commending middle school teachers for what they have to put up with. And, and I, I really find that, that they are such a joy to be with. And sometimes, sometimes some of the students can be difficult, but it's a time where, where they're able to grasp a lot more and able to see more deeply the life of God than younger children. And you can get more in depth about what Thomas Aquinas might say about, you know, the different stages of the soul and things that, that really they can grasp onto and be like, wow, this is really deep. Like, I don't, you know, I didn't learn about this stuff before. And so, so I find it to be there that they are at a very receptive age as they're learning more about themselves and growing themselves that, that they can really receive a lot from the Lord. So, so I, I hear it frequently, people commending <laughs> middle school teachers, but, but I, I really enjoy it. Well, I thank love you. It you so were much. so very impressionable at a young age too. Right. And here you are, you know, impacting and sort of, you know, really continuing to help prime this youthful generation. Mm-hmm. Right. You right. know, right now. Yes. Um, I came into, you know, kind of a, a, a really impressionable, you know, my faith really changed later mm-hmm. in, in my life. Right. Um, grew up Christian, you know, in a, in a Christian home and whatnot. Um, but really, as Jim and I have talked about, and, you know, we, we talk about stories in some other podcasts, but, you know, the scales really fell off of my eyes, you know, in my late 30s. Right. You know, where our children now, um, a lot of them are having their eyes opened to Christ, I think, at, at a much earlier age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very difficult in society today. So I think it's a tremendous benefit for children to receive Christ and be impressioned by Christ. Um, at the middle school age is a wonderful time right. for yes, these kids because it's only mm-hmm. going to get tougher. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love, you know, your daughter, she's just one of the many beautiful open souls that, that I see who they really want more from the Lord and, and understand their calling to be holy and to be saints and want to respond to that. So, so that's very exciting to see. Do you find that the kids energize you with their spirit? And, yes. and, and are, are you continuing to learn and be impacted by the children as well? Yes, I think every teacher that loves their job can say that the students have that the students play a part in their own growth because we see an innocence in them and we see that 
They are very receptive to whatever it is that we're teaching them. And so it makes us realize, wow, am I still receptive to what other people want to give me? And, and there, there is a lot, of, a lot of give and take. And sometimes the students will ask questions that I won't know the answer to, or I'll think, gosh, I never thought of it that way. And, and so that is also something, sometimes you're enlightened by the children. But yes, we, I think every teacher that loves his or her vocation as a teacher can say that, that the students really do bring, can nourish you for sure. So now you teach religion. Yes. Exclusively? Yes, yes. Here in at St. Joe's in Cottleville, because there's so many classes per grade, I just teach religion. But in other schools, smaller schools, I have also taught literature and English in addition to religion. Are there ever any religion questions you don't know the answer to? Um, if I can't think of any right now, <laughs> the, students, I, the students have sometimes asked me questions. I think the ones that, that I had the hardest time is when I first started teaching church history and they would ask me questions that I have no idea the answer. Right. And so one child asked me one time, so what was the year that the East and West, when that schism happened? And I was like, gosh, I think it was like, 1284 or something and I don't even know why I gave like this random stupid answer because it was totally wrong (laughs) and so I had to find out what it was but history I think church history probably is the hardest or if they because I if sometimes they would have asked specific questions and I didn't know the answer so I you know tell them I have to get back to you yeah but um but but I will you know I'm very open to telling the kids let me I'll check that out. Jim, have, have you taught a little church history in the past? I, d- I did teach a lot of church history for eighth grade PSR. Oh, really? Okay. For confirmation prep. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's so much data. Right. And yeah, if you know all the answers, then you have other issues. I think that, <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, it's impressive to the point of... Uh, Problematic, I suspect. Mm-hmm. That's your rain man. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. All right, yes. sister, we're, we're, we're going to get into the time here where we've got okay. some really difficult questions that we need to okay. ask you that I hope you're ready for. Okay, uh-oh. The first one is going to be, <laughs> can the Patriots win the Super Bowl without Rob Gronkowski next season? I I think they can. I think that... <laughs> I think that um, the, the coaching staff is brilliant and that they can work with anyone to bring them to a higher level. Okay. Kind of like God. I have to jump in. (laughs) You notice how we save this till the end because if folks have listened this far, when they find out you're a Patriots fan, uh, I I think you grew up in Virginia outside DC. Yes. And you're a Patriots Patriots fan. fan. Yeah. So it, we, I don't know if you knew that they had the Redskins in D.C. I know right. that. And that's a big... I lived in D.C. Okay. And that's a big deal there, the Redskins mm-hmm. are. I don't think she was paying attention at 85 when the Bears <laughs> smoked the Patriots. As oh, well, shoot. Super no, Bowl, so. I wasn't. You know, I... We did not grow... My family didn't grow up watching sports. And so it was actually kind of interesting how I became a Patriots fan. It was back in 2011... And they were in the Super Bowl. And I really didn't know anything about football. 
And so we were filling out a bracket and I didn't really have any association with any of the teams except that my brother lives in New England. And so I was like, well, I'll just go for the New England Patriots. So, and they just kept winning and winning and winning. They lost the Super Bowl that year. It's kind of sad. But but then since then, <laughs> and I didn't realize that they were the most incredible best team in the NFL. I had no idea. I can't remember. Is 2011, is that the year they cheated to beat the Rams in the Super Bowl? No, they I I just throw that. that. I just want to throw that out for (laughs) see I told you this is gonna be this is gonna be the difficult this is gonna be the difficult (laughs) component of the conversation here. Right. So let's 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 switch gears to a a little bit hotter and spicier of a topic. (laughs) So we understand you're a fan of spicy foods. Yes, it's my superpower. Really? Explain. My tolerance of spicy food is higher than most people. So I so habanero peppers, they're these little orange hot peppers. They're 10 times hotter than a jalapeno pepper, and I eat them like as a snack. Oh my gosh. And so so I think that they're like I'll have them for, you know, with with the meal. Sure. And and so I just have a very high tolerance of spicy now, food. Have you tried a ghost pepper? Or? I well, you know, I have a, so not raw, plain like I would a habanero. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. But I've but ghost pepper salsa, I could just drink it. Oh my god! And wow. and, and ghost pepper barbecue sauce is um, like not hot enough. Wow. For me, but I've never done just a straight up ghost okay. pepper but but it is something that yes i love spicy food so we understand that you recently ate some chicken wings that yes. were spicy at yes. a place that <laughs> seems applicably named uh wings of blazing wings does of this blazing. sound familiar that's nice. right <laughs> yes yes so it was recommended to us by father chrismer and he said that they have this great chicken wing sauce it's called afterburner and he's like sister it's so good so so i got some of the afterburners and i was so disappointed because it really wasn't very spicy so i asked for the ghost pepper sauce and so they brought some ghost pepper sauce and that made it better what what does one think when here you've got a sister going, you know what? This afterburner sauce just isn't enough. This isn't cutting out something more powerful. I know. Just want more and more and more, you know, from God, from spicy food, whatever. (laughs) But, but yes, but it is, it is. Oh my goodness. Well, sister, thank you very much for sharing all of this. Just, I think rich background and, and inspiration. I know you've had a tremendous impact just even on Jim and I, as we have sat here through this oh, conversation, but <laughs> you know, praise God for for you. Um, praise God for all of the Dominican sisters. We can't thank you enough for participating today and 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 just really, you know, sharing your life and your love for Jesus Christ with us. Oh well, I've I've really enjoyed it, and it's amazing you, what you all are doing, and and with these kind of these kind of media things that that are available now. You know, it's one of those things where you'll never know until heaven probably who has listened to these mm-hmm. and what it's done in different people's lives. So I can see that with this program as well. I mean, the Lord is probably touching more people than you'll ever know until heaven, perhaps. 
Well, pray for us. Yes, and you pray for me too. We will, The Lord for need, sure. knows I need it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazing Bush Podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazingbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazing Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.